You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I'm James. I'm a covenant member here at Connection, a gospel community leader. And it's my joy to get to open up God's word with you this morning. And so we're going to be in Matthew. We've been journeying through Matthew here, and particularly the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, we're going to be in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8 this morning. And uh, also we're going to dip into briefly the Lord's Prayer, which that will hopefully prepare our hearts for the coming weeks when we deep dive into the Lord's Prayer and um, get to experience Jesus' perfect sermon illustration on prayer. And so if you have a Bible, I'd ask you to open it up to Matthew 6 with us this morning. If you don't, you should find one in the chair around you. If you don't have a Bible, please uh, feel free to take that as a gift from us. And if, if you know somebody who needs a Bible... Feel free to give that to them, too. So as we listen to Jesus teaching us on prayer this morning, keep in mind that Jesus, uh, he's the foremost expert on prayer. And he modeled it passionately and perfectly. His prayer life was the very lifeblood of his relationship with the Father when he was on earth. And so Jesus prayed often, And he often prayed alone. Luke 5 talks about he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Mark 1, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Matthew 14, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Luke 6, In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Luke 9, now it happened that he was praying alone. The disciples were with him. Jesus lived a life of prayer. And so as we read these verses together, keep that in mind. He knows what he's talking about. So look with me. At Matthew 6, verses 5, 15, 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive, 
have been forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father, meet us in your word now through the power of your spirit. Jesus, may your words, your teaching here ring clear and true to our hearts that we would move out in your transforming grace. And may the the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you as I preach. And may the things that I speak that are not in line with your word fall to the ground silent. In Jesus' name, amen. In verses 5 through 8 here, Jesus is building on and repeating some of the truths that if you were here last week, we heard about giving. And he wants us to know that both our giving and our praying are heart issues. And that we do both of them. But the how and the why that we engage these graces is a reflection of our hearts. What we value most and believe about God will be evidenced in how we pray. What we value the most and believe about God will be evidenced in how we pray. What drives your prayer life? Where do you believe your reward lies? What do you value the most? This is a common question we ask around here is if How do you answer the question, if I just had this, then I would be satisfied? Because that's an indicator of what you value the most. And Jesus gives us an opportunity to reflect on that. Whose name do you want to get glory? Whose kingdom dominates your decisions, your emotions, and your prayer life? You see, if our prayer life is driven by self-worship, our reward will be momentary approval of people and rob God of his glory. If our prayer life is driven by our own self-worship, our own glory, our reward is simply going to be the momentary approval of people, and it's going to rob God of his much greater glory. Look at verse 5 with me. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus begins verse 5 with not if you pray, but he says when you pray. He's teaching his disciples, people who are following him, learning from him how to follow his example of how to live for his kingdom and not for their own lesser, small kingdom. Maybe you're here this morning and and you would not say you're a Christian. We're glad you're here. I imagine that even as an unbeliever, you have prayed at different times. Please listen in on how Jesus speaks of prayer and the confidence that those of us who say we're following Jesus as Christians believe is at the heart of why we pray. 
In this verse, Jesus isn't condemning praying in public, something we've done this morning in our gathering here. No, he's pointing out how someone's public prayers are motivated by their own desire for self-worship, for self-glory. Jesus calls them hypocrites, a person who looks one way in front of other people in a different way when they're alone, when they think they're not being seen. Because they love to pray in front of other people, and it seems that their, their public prayer life is designed to cover up what their private prayer life, prayer, prayer life really looks like. <clears throat> Personally, this was very convicting to think about the amount of time I spend praying in front of other people. And how much of that time is to impress them? Or how does that weigh out in light of my private prayer life? Or maybe you're the type of person that wants to avoid public prayer at all costs. And it's for the same reason. You're more concerned about what other people think about you and how you pray. And this is self-worship in the other direction. When you pray or don't pray, whose attention are you seeking or avoiding? And why are you seeking or avoiding their attention? Because that says something about what you believe prayer is all about. Listen to what Jesus teaches about the heart in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. And he's speaking to those who are trusting in themselves that they were righteous. And then they treat others poorly, with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes and all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. About eight years ago, I was asked to help plan the annual Sioux Falls Prayer Breakfast, and uh, it used to be called the Mayor's Prayer Breakfast. And uh, it was at a time in my life, my wife and I just started an organization, and um, this event has typically a thousand or more people that come, the governor, state senators, U.S. senators, the mayor, um, all kinds of people from the community. And as we're planning it, uh, they asked me to do the opening prayer. And immediately, I became super nervous and started going through my mind, oh man, okay, how can I pray in a way that these people will be impressed with me? I've never prayed in front of this many people before. And all my thoughts were turning to me and what these people were going to think about me and the compliments I could receive about how awesome my prayer was after the, um, 
the, the event, and it's, it's actually embarrassing to share what was going through my mind with you right now, but that's the reality, that I was so focused on impressing people in that moment, and I remember I spent a ton of time writing this prayer, and graciously God reminded me as I was writing it, like, who are you praying to? It's pretty clear from where your heart is and where your fears lie and what you value right now. Well, this past year, I didn't participate in planning the event and decided at the last minute, like the 11th hour, hey, I'm going to go to the event. I'm going to bring my son, Sam, with. And um, so we arrive at the event, the event. We sit about halfway back in the crowd, and uh, we're getting ready to enjoy the event together. And the MC, who was also the event coordinator, um, welcomes everyone, makes some opening remarks, and, and then he seems a bit nervous. And he's looking around the room, scanning the room, and um, as he announced the individual who's going to open in prayer, who happens to be me. And there was a small oversight in their planning that they never asked me if I, was gonna, if I would pray for the event. And in God's mercy, I showed up. And, and so as I was making the long walk up to center stage, it was actually God's infinite mercy and wisdom because all I could do was, okay, Spirit, you got this. As I walked up to the front and calmly and confidently in the Lord prayed. And what a contrast between year one and last year from my own heart. Same venue, same setting, different heart. And so when we think about what Jesus is showing us here, it seems that the best prayer for us at those times is, is to repent of the many times that our attitude has been about our own goodness before God or the hopes of receiving man's approval to be impressive before people and their reward and how that reward is so fruitless, it's so valueless, it's so useless. And Jesus is warning us that we have the ability to turn the worship of God in prayer into self-worship. And what a drop that is. What do you believe about Jesus that your prayers deteriorate into the worship of yourself and man's approval? Maybe it's unbelief in his acceptance of you. He's withholding something good from you so you want more attention. You want more affirmation. This kind of self-righteousness and self-worship destroys the kind of heartfelt, humble prayer that Jesus is teaching us in this passage. When you're praying, particularly in public, is your heart pursuing your glory or God's? Whether in public prayer or private prayer, we only come because God the Father's goodness and favor upon us. Nothing else. The acceptance of our prayers is based on Christ alone. If we delight to come to him in prayer, this will expel any intention or desire to impress man 
or relying on our own goodness. If our prayer life is driven by God worship, our reward is the presence of our Heavenly Father who knows us intimately and approves of us. If our prayer life is driven by the opposite thing, God worship, our reward is the presence of our Heavenly Father who knows us intimately and still approves of us. Look at verse 6 with me. What does Jesus say there? But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Most Jewish homes in this time were very small. So finding a room to go and pray alone would have been a challenge. But they'd have to be intentional to go and seek out a solitary place of prayer. A place where outside distractions could be shut out and God would be welcomed in. Do you have a secret place of solitude for prayer? Maybe behind your bed. Sometimes I'll go behind a chair with a blanket over my head. We have lots of kids. <laughs> I heard once of uh, Jonathan Edwards' wife. They had 12 children, and she would sit down at the kitchen table and pull the apron over her head when it was time for prayer. And the kids knew that was her time to be with the Lord. Maybe it's a coat closet. But more importantly, do you have a special place in your heart that's been cultivated by private prayer? Do you have an inner sanctuary with the Lord that you've cultivated that space? Because we're invited into something deep and profound and rewarding that here that, that only comes through prayer, the grace of prayer, that we're invited to, to the presence of God himself. He wants us to come and he's serious about it. You look at other passages like the invitation that we received from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Listen to this invitation. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligent to me. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Isaiah is describing what motivates the prayer life that Jesus is teaching here. If we are thirsty for God and hunger, hungry for his righteousness, we are invited to come, to come to him. Come, it costs us nothing to be satisfied with the most satisfying food, the most rewarding spiritual food and drink that can only be found in the presence of God, worshiping God. God the Father has paid for us to experience his presence through the blood of his Son. The Father rewards us with his presence in the secret place of private prayer. We're invited to the Father's banqueting table to delight in rich and satisfying nourishment, spiritual nourishment. And Jesus says, 
He sees us. The Father sees us. Think about what that means. There is nothing about us that he needs to discover. Nothing. No surprises. He knows our every thought. He knows our every intention. He actually knows us infinitely better than we know ourselves. And so, this seeing can actually free us to delight ourselves in prayer with him. God sees the deepest, darkest secrets of your hearts, our hearts. How many of us are afraid of private prayer because in private prayer, there's no place to hide? Not just hide from God, but hide from ourselves and how we see ourselves. How many of us are so busy doing things and chasing after the next things because we're scared to death to look inside our own hearts, which happens when we are quiet and still before our good Father. Maybe you're stuffing your anger, your unresolved bitterness towards someone you love in that secret place. Or do you have secret unconfessed sin or sin patterns, addictions, secret past pains from sins committed against you? You see, we are able to pack so much secret junk into the secret trunk of our heart. It's unbelievable. And we're invited by Jesus to come to the Father who already knows us. He knows what's in our hearts. And when we pray, he hears us. And he still loves us. And he won't turn away. But rather, he turns towards us. And when we believe that, we are more inclined to stop hiding and to start praying. How many times do we need to ask for forgiveness for our prayerlessness? What keeps you from spending time in the secret place with him in prayer? Could it be that the amount of time you spend there is reflective of how you believe God to be? Maybe you see him like your disappointed parent, your angry judge, your punishing police officer. I don't know, you fill in the blank. Or you fear what he might reveal about yourself. Or you fear what he's going to reveal about himself. It is because in the secret place of your heart you believe he is disappointed in you. You're a failure. You're a fake. You have not earned the right to be heard. Please don't forget that it's an amazing gift, the highest blessing and honor to be invited into the presence of our Heavenly Father, to have a one-on-one -on -one encounter with Him in prayer, the reality that He truly sees us, He rewards us, because He is the reward. He is the only reward, and being seen by Him is our reward. Do you believe that this morning? Being 100% known by him and still loved by him. 
the God of the universe meets us in prayer. In the deepest, most secret places of our hearts, our desires, our longings, even in our failures. He actually invites us into these secret places because he's already there. He's already there. And because he has met every one of those secret places with his own son. The deeper you believe that, the more satisfying your prayer life is going to be. And the more satisfying it will become. This takes us to the second warning from Jesus about wrong prayer motives. He's got a nice sandwich going here between warnings and promises. And uh, If our prayer life is driven by our agenda, our prayers will be powerless and absent of God. If our prayer life is driven by our agenda, our prayers will, are powerless and absent of God. Look at verse 7 there. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. The word Gentiles here represents someone who does not fear God or someone who doesn't truly know who God is and his basic attributes of love and holiness and all-knowing and mercy and the list goes on. Because these characteristics about him stop us, stop, would have stopped them from praying empty phrases in many words. Listen to wise King Solomon's description of the humble attitude we should have in coming to prayer. In Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 and 2, guard your steps when you come into the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. See, Jesus is echoing those words. He's not concerned about how many words are in our prayers, like the number of them. Jesus prayed at length with his Father. I read that to you earlier, all night, up early in the morning. The persistent widow in Luke 18 is praised for her repeated fervency to make her plea heard before the unrighteous judge day and night as an illustration or a good example of praying. Jesus uses terms like heap up empty phrases or being heard for the many words. Is another way to translate that is babbling. Know any babblers? Um, Jesus is addressing a heart issue here of someone who thinks they can wear God down like a child in a grocery store as they're coming through the checkout aisle and they see that pack of gum or that, those M&Ms. And I'm not sure why the sinister grocery clerks put those there. But what begins to happen when they see that thing that they want? 
They do something that's unexplainable and under, understandable many times, right? Gimme, 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 mine, 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 please, 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 ah! right? Like just babbling, trying to wear their parent down so that they can get that thing and get out of the store. And Jesus is warning us that our prayers are not effective. They're meaningless if it's just repetition, thinking if we pray long enough, it'll get answered the way that we want. Or if our prayers look like this, where we're trying to manipulate God with our many words or our strategic words, that we think we're going to be able to, to pull God in and do what we want. This reflects our heart's deep desire that we can turn the most precious moments of prayer in the presence of God into something that they were never meant to be. They were never meant to be all about our agenda, about our selfish desires. Rather, submitting our desires to him as a good father. And this becomes another opportunity for repentance. That we've forgotten that for God in heaven to ever listen to one of our prayers, let alone one of our words, is only because of his goodness and sovereign grace. That we would believe that we could ever earn a moment of God's attention or acceptance because of the power of our words. We've forgotten this because of Christ. It's only because of Christ and his finished work on the cross that we can actually access our Heavenly Father. And through Christ's precious blood-bought grace that we get to do that. What a gift. He listens to our prayers because of Jesus. And it's by that amazing, gracious gift that our hearts are able to pray humbly and honestly. He knows our hearts. And not like the examples that Jesus is using here with the hypocrites who want the praise of man and they disguise it as prayer. Or those who've forgotten how good God is and they need to come and try and change his mind on their behalf. Again, a great prayer is for us to just begin with confession that the many times that we've prayed have been heartless, that they've been empty, that we've been seeking to use spiritual words and emotion to muster up an audience with God and how it minimizes the grace that it is to even be with God in prayer. It's a perspective that is void of what Jesus has accomplished so that we can be in God's holy, perfect presence at all. Which brings us to the good news in verse 8. Look at verse 8 here. Because um, Jesus is going to point out our prayer life cultivates trust in our good and loving Father that drives us to pray confidently because he already knows what is best for us. Our prayer life cultivates something. It cultivates a trust in the very character of God that he's a good and loving Father. And that drives our prayer life to gain confidence and joy because he already knows. He already knows what's best for us. He's already out for our good. Verse 8, 
Don't pray like them, like those that heap up empty praises or try and manipulate God with their words. For the Father already knows what you need before you ask him. The Father already knows what you're coming to ask before you even ask him. Jesus is giving us a a family-like picture of the perfect Father who knows every single one of his child's needs. There's no need to try and manipulate him because he invites you to come and pray. Confidently trusting that he will respond in a matter, manner that is perfectly suited for your relationship with him. This relationship that is characterized by the highest love and the greatest freedom from our worst <laughs> sin and a deepest compa- compassion for what we actually need. Listen to the truths of Psalm 103. I love what the psalmist writes here. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove his transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear them. Do you hear the goodness of God there? When you walk out today, look up at the skies. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the Father's steadfast, not going anywhere love for you. Our prayers inform him of nothing new but provide us with the opportunity to affectionately and dependently commune with him in prayer. He wants us to come and receive his fatherly response. He is always close to us and knows us perfectly, and that frees us for not having to fearfully beg him for things or plead with him as if we're some ignored, unloved child. He loves us with an infinite love, an untiring affection that welcomes us over and over again to jump into his open and generous arms in prayer. Ed Welch puts it this way, because he knows that we are all hungry and thirsty and need to be satisfied with something good, and prayer becomes a place where the Father, with the Father, where we can be satisfied because he already knows what we need to satisfy us. He already knows. And so when we pray fervently that his kingdom's agenda will bring glory to himself through his people, it's here that Jesus gives us the perfect pattern of prayer. And it's driven from the very heart of God. We pray fervently that his kingdom's agenda will bring glory to himself through us as his people. And Jesus gives us the perfect prayer, driven by the very heart of God. Look at 9 through 15 here. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We're going to spend the coming weeks in these verses, and I can't wait. As Jesus puts on display the heart attitude and commitment in his prayer that will most satisfy us. We're created for his name, the name above every name. And we're created to serve his everlasting kingdom. His purposes are huge and glorious. In him we gain an audience with Almighty God as our Father through prayer that shapes our heart after his heart for a momentary life in this broken world. And it reminded me of just this amazing reality that, that we, through this prayer pattern, have an audience with God. I grew up in the Chicago area, and, and at a young age, I was indoctrinated to be a Chicago Bears fan. And so I was, I was, and I was old enough to, to be able to watch one of the greatest running backs of all time, Walter Payton, play. And if you don't know who he is, Google him. Sweetness. Um, and when I was 11 or 12 years old, I would spend hours in my backyard with my football, throwing passes to myself, catching, using Walter Payton's moves to elude all kinds of imaginary defenders. I spent hours out there. I, my mom, my poor mom, had to wash my grass-stained clothes because I would be playing imaginary football as Walter Payton. And even when we get these big snow drifts, if you've ever seen Walter Payton, he was notorious for diving over the defenders into the end zone. Like the guy was five foot eight, but could jump about 16 feet high. And so I would, in those snow drifts, I had the opportunity to practice my Walter Payton diving over the top and landing in the snow drift and not breaking my neck. And so one day he came to the Crystal Point Mall, which was about 10 minutes from our house. And guess who waited in line for a long time to shake Walter Payton's hand, to get his autograph. I got a good five to 10 seconds with him. And here I stand at least four decades later, remembering it like it was yesterday. I wonder how long Walter Payton remembered his encounter with me. <laughs> and it just reminded me of, I get to enter into the presence of God because he already knows me. He already loves me. And I'm not running around in an imaginary life in my backyard, dreaming about all the great things I'm gonna accomplish. I have a God who supplied me with his grace that's going to accomplish those things in spite of me. And he does use me as his instrument. And that's what we're invited to. Jesus wants us to be in the very presence of the everlasting Father, the lover of our soul, the creator of the whole universe. 
And he invites us into this prayer life to join his way bigger story, his amazing story of redemptive grace. And he puts us in his forever family. Jesus prays, our Father. And he invites us to pursue his kingdom's purposes in how we live. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And it's through that living that we gain the greatest reward ever. We get supplied with the daily grace that we need. We have the greatest debt imaginable paid for, forgiven, so that we can then forgive others. And it's through this amazing experience with a perfect father that we get to pray and we get to live every single day. And so I want you to consider some practical questions to answer for yourself. Because our prayer life evidences whose glory we really live for. It evidences what we value and believe about God. When do you spend the most time praying? When do you spend the most time praying? Is it when you're in trouble? Or you need something? Or is it because you get to spend time with him at a moment's notice at any time? What is the focus of your prayers? Do your prayers prayers have a confidence in God's character? Not hiding behind many words or simply not hiding at all because you know that you have nothing to hide. If your prayers are focused on you, your earthly request, rather than longing for what God has purposed for you, for his glory, his kingdom, and his name, what parts of your life do you find yourself hiding from God that you're too afraid to pray about? Or what ways are you praying with selfish motives? Do you carry into your prayer life shame from your sin or sins committed against you or unresolved secret areas in your heart of pain that you've hidden away in prideful self-protection or maybe you've hidden away in unrighteous anger and those drive your prayer petitions. In our own effort and merit, it's impossible. It's only through the amazing grace of trusting humble prayer that our hearts cultivate when we commune with God in prayer. In the secret place. It's in the secret place that we find his gracious strength to evict shame, to get rid of pride, to confess our approval of people and otherworldly affections so that God fuels the secret places of our heart. His love fuels it, his grace, his mercy. 
May we cultivate this Jesus-like prayer life, following his words, his examples that he has set for us on the mountain, in the garden, through the night. Because he has been with the Father eternally. So he knows the Father's love. The incredible joy of being in his presence. This is where all the Father's secrets and rewards become ours in Christ. And as we think about that, the incredible reward that we have in Christ, we have an opportunity now to come to the table, the Lord's table. And I want to pray for us as we do that. Father God, we thank you and praise you that we're invited into your presence and that you give us everything that we need. And now as we gather around your table to celebrate your son's broken body and shed blood, look deep into the secret places of our heart. May we open them wide to you in repentance and faith. Maybe for the very first time because we've decided to trust that you are good, that you did not spare your own son, but you've given him up for us all, and how much more in him will you graciously give us all things? It's with that heart that we come to your table. Amen.